на трибунах холеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона разноцветные майки цветут. Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News Podcast. Since we last recorded, Game Week 30 took place as the RPL season came to an end. Thus, as we all know, Zenit won the third RPL title in a row, while Spartak joined them in the Champions League next season. Lokomotiv qualified for the Europa League, bumped up courtesy of their Cup of Russia win, while Ruben Kazan and Sochi secured the last European places and will take part in the inaugural European Conference League next season. Down at the bottom, already relegated Tambov were joined by Rota Volgograd. Tambov themselves are going bust and will no longer exist as an entity, while Rota drops back down into the Finnael despite some late, late brave results. Ufa and Arsenal Tula hung on to their RPL status by the skin of their teeth, as due to licensing issues in the Finnael, no promotion or relegation playoffs will be taking place this year. However, this week it is time for us to do one of our favourite annual traditions, in which we hand out the RFN Awards for the end of season of 2020-21. To join me in doing so is David Sanson. Good evening, good evening. And Richard. Good evening, David. Good evening, James. How are we all? I'm good. I mean, next week... A few of us will be taking some short vacations, so to fill in the gap for everyone, we will be having a shorter pre-recorded episode in which we also hand out some uh, Fenetel Awards for the end of the season too. But firstly, onto the categories for the RPL Awards, and they are Player of the Season, Young Player of the Season, Best Manager, Biggest Surprise Player or Team, Best signing, worst signing, best moment, worst moment, goal of the season, and then the most Leonid Slutsky moment of the decade, and the most bankrupt bankrupt club of the last decade too. Now the two last categories we have do have preset nominations, and we will try and get a pick a winner. But for all of the rest, we won't pick one overall winner but just, just merely discuss our own personal picks for each award. And I would like to hear from yourselves what your personal choices are for them. Just hit us up at RFN, at Russ, at Russ Football News on Twitter, through the DMs, tweets, whatever, and let us know some of your personal choices and whether, whether you agree or not. So first, on to the player of the season. David, who do you think for player of the season this year, then? Um, I had a few picks. Um but towards the top, of course, I think we can't can't not have Artyom Zuber up there. Um, you know, top scorer again in the RPL. I think he's now the all-time top scorer in the RPL. Um, and you know, he did have a great great season. Uh, and then up there, also, I had uh, Christian Neboa. You know, he was unbelievable for for Sochi. You know, no one would have expected Sochi top five at all. I don't think. Um, and he he was yeah he was fantastic. And Zhigol's uh, Kokoviak as well. He had a he had a really good, particularly second half of the season. You know where Loco went on that insane run of, of wins, and he was scoring left, right, and centre as well as you know Kamal and Smolov. But he you know he also had a good good first half of the season. And uh, so yeah, they, those are my sort of top three: Zuba, Nabo, and, and Kokoviak. And Richard. 
Yeah, I'm actually I'm going to go with Jordan Larson as my my player of the season. Um, I felt he scored decisive goals and some very very good goals for Spartak too. The one against Himke in the penultimate round when you know Spartak were drawing one one, and they needed a win to put themselves in prime position for that um, Champions League spot. And Larson just stole the show late on. Um, so I'm going to go with him. I was tempted to go with Vlasic, but I think his form just dropped in the last seven, eight, nine games of the season. Um, you know, if he'd have carried on that form pre-winter break, I think Vlasic probably would have been mine. But I am actually going to go with Jordan Larson just because I think he he interlinks so well with um, the likes of Promes and um, and Sobolev in Spartak's attack after the winter break and scored like lots of decisive goals. Um, some good shouts there from... Um, from um, from David, I also um, thought Naboa had an excellent season for um, for um, for Sochi, um, and yeah, I think Asmoon and um, Zuba have to be worth shouts. It's a bit of a shame the likes of Wendell and Malcolm couldn't have had full fully fit seasons because if if they'd have had fully fit seasons, I think they might have been in contention. Especially, I was really impressed with Wendell when he finally got out there on yeah. the pitch and was fit, and just hope him and Malcolm can stay fit and um, injury free. Uh, for the for the for next season and beyond. So um, yeah, they're probably some of my shouts. But I'm going to go with John Larson just because I was really impressed with the impact he made and the goals he scored and in decisive moments too. Yeah, definitely. I think all of these names are deserved mentions for player of the season. I mean, I, I mentioned it to yourselves off air before we started recording, and I was really torn between two, and it was either Sarge Rasmussen or Larson, like you said, uh, Richard. And I think I did go Larson in the end, but I'm not sure how much of that is my own Spartak favoritism and bias. But I think what really teetered me over the edge, and it, perhaps it is unfair to judge, bring European form into this when I can't do that with Larson purely because Spartak weren't good enough to be in the Zenit's position last season. But Asmoon's European form really irks me. And. <laughs> He had that spell around that time of playing in Europe where domestically Zenit really fell off. And one of the large reasons why they did fall off is because Asmund did have a little bit of a dry spell. Um, so I have went for Larson because of his ability to create as well as score. He's a real top-class player and I think is going to be one of the next big exports out of the league. But... Ahead of Larson, I think the real player of the season is probably Khaled Kadyrov. Um, Kadyrov had arguably the best season of his career in which he played five games, which is the most games he's ever played. Uh, he had an average of 14 minutes per game, which is by far and away the longest he's ever been on the pitch. He actually managed a shot on goal this time as well and an average of six touches per game. So I think that he's really proven his, his uh, uncle's old faith in putting him in on, on the bench for every single Akmat game since the beginning of time with that one shot in his entirety of his whole adult career as a 27-year-old. But no, it, it, joking aside, it's 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 Larson <laughs> for me as well. And maybe maybe that is my Spartak bias in there. But David, young player of the season, I think I think we can all perhaps telegraph where this one's going. Um I don't know what you mean. I was going to pick uh, Roman Yevgenyev. No, oh, well. he no, he was obviously uh, had Yevgenyev and Zakaria up there uh, in my top three. But of course, my my top choice was uh, was Kvitsha Um You know, he's he's had a fantastic season, and uh, it seems like he's not going to have any more RPL seasons um, 
all, all the talk is that you know he's definitely going to be off this year, this summer, which is no surprise really. Um, but yeah, you know, fantastic season and, and what a boy, what a talent he is. Um, so yeah, he's he's definitely my young player of the season. Yeah, and for for those as well, the age limit here was twenty one, so a little bit lower than usually is twenty three. But we only considered players under the age of 20, uh, 21 and below. Um, I I agree. Before I segue to Richard, I think my player of the season is Kavicha as well. Um, it was it was a little bit of a toss up between him and uh, Igor Deveev, another central a Russian central defender. I think's really blossomed this year, even even in the second half of the season. I think he was. Um, Siska's best player under the PE teacher, so he it was a close run thing. But Kavicha's this is Kavicha's breakthrough season outside of Russia, and it's really not often that that happens. That is a generational thing when you see a player breach beyond the sort of echo chamber of Russian football because we are kind of a little bit of a sundered land. We are like left adrift a little bit by sometimes by. European football experts, and I think there was a a video that got millions of uh, hundreds of thousands of views at least that went viral, and it was like something along the lines of uh, Kavicha plays football like a PlayStation or like a FIFA game, something like along those lines, and it, it really does kind of, although it's a little bit embarrassing and a little bit cringe, it really genuinely does describe his style of game and why he is so exciting. Uh, Richard, who who you got for our young player of the season? I had Kavicha down as number two. Um, just feel that, like, you know, over the season he's progressed. <laughs> I creature as number two. Uh, it was very, very close between him and Arsene Zakaria, and perhaps because I covered Dinamo quite a bit, for, I covered Dinamo for the site. I did just go with Zakaria based on his age, but I think creature had a, uh, it was really, really tight between the yeah. two of them. Um, and I know, and that, that those goals he scored in the international break, and like we were saying, he absolutely tore Pedro Porro, who's won a Portuguese title with Sporting. Uh, this season in Portugal, he played at right back for Spain that game, and you know, and there were pit, there were times in that game where he tore Pedro Porro apart, and um, you know, those goals really enhanced his reputation. And all season, he's been improving on the Slutsky. That's that's one of Slutsky's great strengths as a coach, as we've said on numerous pods before. He improves he improves players. You know, there's quite a number of those who've been players this season who've really improved under his tutelage. And, and yeah, be be a very interesting summer to see where where he does actually end up going because I, I do have a feeling that Ruben are going to find it very difficult to keep him this summer, but he's definitely going to get them a big transfer yeah. fee, that's for yeah. sure. But I went with Zakayam. I did go with Zakayam because I was really impressed in the second half of the season how this guy who, you know, literally at the start of the season in the first few months of the season was was probably alternating his, his um, playing time between the under-19s at Dinamo and the reserves. And at 17, to just come into a side and just look so at ease, just like he's been playing there for a few good few years, you know, to for him and Chukarvin basically to be holding up, you know, Dinamo's attacking play at times was remarkable, considering some of the experienced players that Dinamo have got in the in the attacking third. I really thought it was remarkable and such maturity, such composure at just seventeen, you know, to win himself a place in the Spornaya squad for the Euros, he could be the youngest ever player to be capped by Russia and one of the youngest ever if you include the Soviet times. I thought it was remarkable and um you know, he did did mm-hmm. did a good solid job at the under twenty one Euros as well. Even when Sebastian Szymanski's not played for Dynamo, he's dropped into a slightly deeper role in midfield too, so he's showing his versatility impressively. So I just went with Zakaryan based on his age, but it was very, very close between him and Kvitsha. 
Um, I was impressed with both of them, but probably the Dean yeah. bias showing a little bit. But I was really impressed with the pair of them. I just went with um, no. I with think Zakai. I think that's fair. I think the the way that he's burst onto the scene this year was unexpected and. He's been brilliant for, for Dinamo. Now, he, he was given a chance by Sandro Schwartz, who is a coach who favours giving youngsters a chance, as he's as shown throughout his whole tenure at, at Dinamo and before that at Mainz as well. But what's really brought brought me like attention to why I, I Zakarian was my second or third choice, I believe, behind Deveev as well. And I only didn't decide because of he's only really been involved in the latter half of the season. Which is what eleven ten matches, not not the first two thirds. Yeah, that was but, my reasoning too. But if he's forced his way into Stanley Churchisov's national team side, even if it is just the the initial bigger squad before it gets whittled down to the final twenty six, he's seventeen and he's managed to do that. There's players who have been playing week in week out for a couple of years now with a very high standard. For both the under twenty ones team and the national and the, the domestic side, and Stani's just completely ignored them to sort of get into that team. Assured the impact that he's made and in the what the expectations are of him from the wider community. And you were saying that there, David, that you you thought it was just the amount of playing time that held him against from winning as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's unbe- he's an unbelievably talented player, but yeah. Um... Just for a whole seasonal thing, you know, he only he only made his debut in, in December, so I think I'd, yeah, I I put that against him. You know, it's enough that you know he's in my top three, but uh, yeah, that was that was the only thing against him, and uh, you know, I really look forward to seeing him with a whole season under his belt. You know, thirteen, I think he had thirteen appearances uh, this season and got uh, I want to say three goals and four assists, which is you know unbelievable. Um, and yeah, the fact that he's in the Euro squad. You know, Stanley doesn't do these kind of call ups. The fact that he's there makes me think that he's actually going to be in the final thing because the big, the final, the first squad is not that big. Like he's only got to trim a couple of players, hasn't he? I think. So, um, yeah. You know, I think he might go, and I think he might play at, at the very least. He'll play in the friendlies. I think I, I've got belief that he wouldn't have called him up unless he actually had the belief that you know this guy needs to be in my team because that's not the kind of guy that Stanley is. He doesn't do risky things like that. So. Um, I think I think there's genuine the belief in the Russian setup that you know this guy is is unbelievably good. Yeah, certainly. And, and Stanley's only named a, a squad of thirty um, with the seven reserves as as an aside from that. So there's only four players going to get dropped from that. Unfortunately, I think it will be the four youngsters, which would be a shame. But it's the easiest decision to make, and he he likes experience. He, he he holds experience very high in in what his he believes a repertoire of what creates a solid international team. But if we move on to the next one, and that is manager of the season. Now I'll, I'll go first here myself, and I think there's a few very solid candidates. Of course, it can't have a manager of the season debate without mentioning Sergei Semak's domestic record, um, leading Zenit to a treble. Um, absolutely unbelievable. Achievement, brilliant! Some just created what is such an a respectfully efficient machine up there. I think we mentioned this quite a lot, a lot. And it, while we mention it, it's also we need to be careful not to anachronistically remove away 
some of the quality of football that Zenit play because a lot of people say that they play boring football. Now, I don't think they play boring football. I just think there's a, a misnomer out there regarding Zenit is that efficient equals boring and it's not necessarily, really not necessarily the case. I think you, you go no further than watching the manner of goal and the quality of goal in the way that they completely and absolutely dismantled uh, Lokomotiv, Lokomotiv uh, in the second last game of the season to basically end any chance of anyone else getting close to them, winning it, for, uh, stopping them winning it for the third time in a row. But having said that, once again, the European record is heavy weighing in the back of the minds. And I think it's probably fair to say that a lot of Zenit fans themselves have been quite conflicted with Semak um, and his, Euro- his co- co- complete and lack of success at the European level. And it is very similar to Shakhtar's long period of dominance in Ukraine, to uh, PSG's even, to Celtics, when these clubs have all went on long periods of domestic dominance, where that domestic success is almost an afterthought because it is guaranteed because they are so good. And it's easy to forget why they are considered like that, but they are also all judged on how they do in Europe. And each one of those clubs I've mentioned, like Zenit, have all struggled in different ways at different levels with different, completely different perspectives. Um, if Zenit do what PSG do every year, then they'll be absolutely delighted. But it's just coming from a completely different place with a completely different aims and point of view. So that's constantly in the back of my mind. And I, I just wanted to quickly mention a little shout out for Semak and Zenit's success this season. Uh, I'll I could go through others, but I'm sure you you both could mention it when you discuss. But I'll go straight into mine, and it's it's by quite some distance. Vladimir Fedotov at Sochi, I think the job he's done and where he came from doing it is just absolutely brilliant. I don't think I've seen such quite an impact that a manager has had on what was essentially a disparate group of players dragged around from lower leagues. RPL also runs. I mean, you've got players who have played most of their career in a Finnell and been average at best. Zenit Kastoffs, people like Nikita Burmistrelov, who has spent most of the career in the RPL just as not really a joke figure, but just eminently forgettable by most pundits, not really making very much of an impact at a plethora of different clubs. And he's brought that together unified around a 36-year-old Ecuadorian who is one of the, if not the best, foreigner to grace Russian football in the last decade or so in terms of longevity of how what he's done at the different clubs he's done it at and pure success. Nobody saw that coming, and I think Fedotov is one of the central parts to that, to holding it together. He is the glue that holds Sochi together because it certainly isn't moving down to Sochi and it certainly isn't Rotenberg in charge. David, who have you got for manager of the season? Yeah, I had Fedotsov. Um, I, I was struggling between Fedotsov, Slutsky, and Nikolic as maybe as the backup. Um, you know, we can't ignore the fact that Nikolic made Lokomotiv competitive in in Europe. You know, they they really put up a good fight against Bayern and uh, Atletico, um, and then obviously. You know, that, that first off season, what, at the halfway stage, they were ninth? Or going into the winter break, they were ninth? And then they mm-hmm. won yeah. 11 games in a row um, or something like that. Something mad, whatever it was. 
and uh, you know of, of coming the top three. Um, and he did, you know, he's done a good job with some players there who we thought were you know dead players like Smolov or Kamano. Um, so so he was up there. But yeah, we can't ignore the fact that you know Slutsky and uh, and Fyodorov have have pulled up teams who were in the bottom half last season and taken them into into Europe. You know they've both done excellent jobs. Um, you know that ragtag group that at Sochi of you know guys like Zaika and Terekov and Yusupov. I mean the fact they got a full season out of Yusupov uninjured was a miracle. Um, yeah, you know, Z- Zabolotny. I mean these are guys. It's a bit like the Rostov season, right? The Rostov season, the squad was a ragtag group, and ultimately only three or four of that group were good enough to go and do mm-hmm. something at the next level. And it's a bit the same here. I feel like you know, half the squad are at their level, but they just work in this system. And maybe only a handful of them will go on and, and could take a next step up. Um, clubs need to just be wary. You know, Zabalotny is apparently going to go off to Siska, which is... Let's uh, um, uh, not even talk about it. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's just, yeah. I mean, we've seen him flop at Zenit once already. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't see it, you know. I've never rated him. He's he's a bit like you know. I see um, he's a bit like Ali Sal most for me, where they, he doesn't seem like he's in control of his feet a lot of the time. He just is. He's just a pure power striker. Though. I mean, you know, he's he's more mobile than some of the bigger strikers, some of the other big strikers. Sorry, but um, you know, it's another him. We're, we're on to manager. So yeah, I. I Ruben Bias would obviously lead me to Slutsky, but otherwise it's it's Slutsky or Fedotov. And what was Slutsky's impact? Just to quickly cover Slutsky, do you think a lot of the reason as to why Ruben finished fourth and and getting the best out of a young set of players, which in my opinion, what Slutsky does best is that was all the reason behind the success. Was it centered I mean, around Slutsky? We've taken. Points off of all the big teams this season. You know, we Zenit only lost three times this season. Ruben, uh, two of those victories against them. We've taken points from Spartak, Siska as well. The only team who we we struggled at the big lot was was Loco. When you look at how he from when he took over, I was looking at our sort of points per game per average, like and under Sharonov, we were absolutely just dreadful. But yeah, he's he's taken this squad, you know. Yeah, Ruben, you've got sort of three years. You've got Slutsky's the manager. He, he just will control stuff on the pitch. You've then got Yaravinsky above, who's controlling the transfers and bringing the squad together. And obviously, they work. They, they go everywhere. They hold together. They are at test together. And then you've got the board above who is supporting them. And, you know, Slutsky has taken that squad of guys, you know, young, a lot of them young guys, you know, inexperienced guys, and a couple of other guys who've, who are older, like Zotov or Dupin. You know, Zotov had an unbelievable season. And, you know, you wouldn't be saying that from a guy who, you know, I think his last club was at, was at Orenberg and he came in on a on a free transfer. So, um, you know, he, he's really turned the club around. You know, he's, we know he's a good manager. You know, we've seen it over the years. You know, he, he won the league with Siska. You know, he, he did well at Hull ultimately, even though he then was uh, sacked because then they went on and did worse after he left. Um, and, yeah, he's... He's proven it this season with with his trusting guys like uh, you know, Makarov, Smoshnikov, Kvitsha, uh, and so on. So it's just a pleasure to have him managing the team that I support. You know, he's he's such a character as well, uh, which we'll get onto. But uh, but yeah. 
And of course, Roman Sharanov is now having his little um, holiday as, as one of the first team coaches at Payfoss in a team who are mid-table in, in Cyprus. But Richard, manager of the season, perhaps a little bit of a shout out for Kim Key's manager after all he's succeeded and, and achieved since he took over. Yeah, um, I'm actually, it's funny because we've, 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 with the performances in Europe this season, we've we've, we've criticised a lot of um, of the Russian managers who've been managing the league this season, haven't we? Um, and yeah, I want to shout out to um, Chelyvchenko at Himki. I think he's done a very good job. Um, you know, considering how poor they looked at the start of the season under Dmitry Gunko and how he's just revived them, you know, and getting the best out of players like Kirill Bozhinov, who's just signed for Rostov. Um, just yesterday, apparently the fee was uh, 100,000 euros. I had a look on transfer marks earlier, and that's that's apparently the fee. Um, getting a, a tune out to Konate, uh, who's also moved to Atmat, left them and moved to Atmat on a free. Um, you know, he got he did well with Glushakov. Um, getting a tune out to of Mietsov as well, um, and some other good play and some other players he revived like Brian Adolwu, Dmitry Tihi. I thought had quite a good season for them. And the goalkeeper Lantratov. So yeah, I think good shout out to uh, to uh, Cherevchenko. I think he uh, really revitalised um, Himki. Um, he's probably one of five actually that impressed me over the course of the season. The other four, um, three of them we've mentioned, um, all for varying reasons. You know, Slutsky's very good at getting older players and imp- coaching them to improve, as we've seen with Kvitsch and Makarov and several others. Um, I really like the way Nikolic. Um, you know, improve Loco after the winter break, started getting a tune out to the likes of Smoloff and Kamano. His performances in Europe were good as well. You know, the two ties against Atletico Madrid, the brave game at home against Bayern in the Champions League, um, you know, against Salzburg away as well. Um, so, you know, he, he's up there with that. And, you know, Fedotov, I really like the way Sochi play, you know, this quick transition between the lines. Um, that, that style that he's implemented at Sochi has been really good. And like we said, like you said, James, getting the best out of Feniel journeyman. And, you know, I, I, when I, when Naboa went there, I really honestly thought that was it. I thought he was just winding down. But, you know, he's been one of the best, one of the best players of the season, you know, in that in that midfield role. However, there's one other name I'm going to mention too, and it is actually Domenico Tedesco. I think, you know, he also deserves a, a strong mention too for the way he improves Spartak. And I, I'm, it's just so gutting that, He's going back to Germany. I understand why he's going back, obviously, for family reasons. I totally understand that. But I really would have just loved to have seen um, Tedesco get one more year with this team. I really honestly think he's made a lot of progress. I think Spartak were they seventh or eighth last season and they've gone up to second. So that's a huge improvement too. Um, you know, he's, you know, forged a good partnership between Jordan Larson and Sobolev. You know, it was interesting as well how over the course of the season, Tedesco, you know, saw that Sobolev was making improvements and he had the the brave ball move to put him in the first team ahead of Ponce at start. You know, Ponce was playing well with Larson, but then, you know, he obviously, through training, he obviously, um, you know, discovered that Sobolev, you know, was in, was worthy of a, a couple of starts. He got a couple of starts, took them, and then he's forged a good partnership with Larson. Um, I really like, you know, um, the faith he's shown in that young, in, in some of the young players at Spartak and just his character, Tedesco. I really enjoy his character. He was, you know, good, good, good nature on the sidelines, um, you know, always entertaining. And, you know, I love the, the, the team spirit he fostered at Spartak alongside the improvement in results. So, yeah, probably those five names that I'm going to mention there. It was tight between all of them, I think. Um, 
I think on uh, the whatever this is podcast earlier in the week, I went with Tedesco. Um, but yeah, I think I'm going to shout out to all five of those names. Um, Cherevchenko, Slutsky, Fedotov, Nikolic and uh, Tedesco, I think. Yeah, I like I like Cherevchenko's work at Kimki. I think the problem why I didn't choose him, though, is because, yes, he's done very well with them. They have had, what, the second or third best record um, this calendar year so far in the entirety of Russia. But, well, RPL, sorry. But Kimki's side last year was a very good side, very, a very talented side in the RPL. They didn't win it, but they looked like they were ready. There was a team of... Uh, of, a, of a, a solid, cohesive group of youngsters who you thought, that, oh, you know what, they can make the next step up. They, If they stay together and if they keep the manager, obviously they didn't keep the manager. Unfortunately, Talalai have left before the end of the season to, to take over Acrylia for a while. And then they replaced Talalayev with what's a pair of frauds, really, in Ural and Gunko, neither of which are anywhere near good enough. And those players really suffered from Gunko's complete and utter ineptitude. He was terrible at Spartak, like utterly awful. And then as soon as Cherovchenko came back in, brought a semblance of leadership and a little bit of organization in and just and the other and then bef- uh, coupled alongside that, bringing in some real RPL experience in, in Glushakov and Milozov, who were players who struggled at Spartak, and one of which is despised at Spartak. But if they're the big fish in a little pond, you can really see them being successful. And Cherovchenko, as you said, he's got a real good note out of Kanate as well. I think Kanate is a little bit of a mess in front of goal at times. Um, a few very nice finishes here or there aside. But as a target man, he's very, very effective. And I think he does a lot of the dirty work that allows Mirzov, Glushakov and Ilya Kukachuk to shine a little bit more. And in that, I'm discussing Kimki because it is a little segue to the next the next topic, which is surprise player or team. And it's not Kimki, but one of my names on the shortlist was actually Ilya Kukarchuk, who has been nothing short of brilliant at times for Kimki this season. And while I did honestly expect a little bit of Mirzov to react the way he has, because look, Mirzov was a joke at Spartak, but if anything, he was more a victim of circumstance and a victim of Spartak, kind of the churn of Spartak. Sometimes you get players who go to Spartak and they become legends and they really thrive and they're allowed to thrive. But other ones who are not really welcomed, and he was, of course, favoured by Oleg Kononov, so he was backs against the wall from the start. But he got as soon as he got out of there, he showed solid form. But Kukarchuk, I just did not expect to to really honestly carry on his form into into the RPL. I mean, he's 30 now. He has been in the RPL and uh, around the Finnael for a very long time. I remember when he was back at Angie coming through as a youngster. Um, I think I think he was dropped from Ruben David, wasn't it, before he found his way to Angie. But he, at the time when Angie had all the money, he was really highly rated. And then kind of fell away to nothing. I think he ended up in a free... He ended up playing for like three different clubs in, in two seasons, like all around Siberia. I think he ended up at Ural for a while and, and Shinnik and then Spartak and Alchik and and became an Finnael journeyman. But then for the last year or so, he's been absolutely brilliant. And to be honest, because of what's happened in the past, I didn't expect him to carry it on. 
So he's one real solid surprise of the season. But I think it would be remiss if I didn't mention it, mention that my personal surprise of the season is, of course, Christian Naboa. <laughs> I agree with what you said, both said earlier, where I thought this really would be just his twi- settling into the twilight of his career. All of his his, his kids are growing up. Um, they're both Russian. His wife's Russian. Uh, he's 36 now. Moved down south to Sochi, earn a decent bit, decent wedge, enjoys time in the sun, maybe watch a little bit of F1 when it comes around and, and kind of slowly retire. And absolutely credit to him because he's been anything but. It's almost like he's got the bit between his teeth to prove that his spell at Zenit was an aberration and that he is the, still the classy player that was seen turning out for Rubin over a decade ago and and beating Barcelona. And then again for Rostov, beating Bayern Munich, both in the Champions League. And and now he is leading Sochi to Europe for the first time in their history as their highest goal scorer, I believe, when he's got just under 20 goals and assists in 25 games in the league this season. So unbelievable reaction that was just totally and completely out of the blue. Richards, your surprise this season? Yeah, I've got um, a number, uh, a number of those, um, and you know, uh, as you're probably not going to be surprised, probably um, Himke and um, and Sochi um, comprise a lot of them. You know, um, I'm going to agree with you, there, James, on the Boa. It's just absolutely splendid. I, I honestly thought, like you, I thought that move to Sochi was just a bit of a wind down. You know, I never thought at 36 he'd still be producing some excellent football, the kind of football he was producing 10, 11 years earlier when he was at Rubin, winning two titles under Berdev. Um, I also want to point out too, um, Artyas Supov, you know, I honestly thought, you know, the injuries probably would have had an impact on him and, you know, we were, and he was struggling after he was released by Dinamo, but no, I mean, he's gone down, down to Sochi and Fedotov has revived him. Um, I'm going to shout out to Zabalotny too, you know, I, I think, it, I really think Zabalotny should have stayed at, at, at Sochi. I think he had it good going down there. I mean, he's moved to Siskar now, that move has been confirmed. I'm not really sure how that benefits Siska personally, or, you know, I think he'd have been better off, you know, staying down there at Sochi, being the main man in Fedotov's system. I'm, I'm not sure about that move to Siska. Like I say, he's had his time at Zenit before and it didn't work out. And I think, you know, he owes Fedotov a lot, I think, um, Zabalotny for reviving his career. Cause you know, he was, he was really a bit of a meme when he was at Zenit. Um, so yeah, they're three players I want to shout out. Um, I'm going to also shout out uh, two players at Himke, um, Dimitri Tihi who uh, I think has been really just a good, solid player in the defence. I know he was linked with a few larger RPL clubs in the winter break. I know nothing materialised of it, but I think he's been a good, solid performer for them. I think he's about 27, 28, and, you know, good, solid performer. Um, Kirill Bozhinov, um, who I've been really impressed by, you know, uh, not just a young player who Himke have picked up from Spartak or Saskar, one of the Moscow clubs, is the guy who's come through their academy broke into their team last year in the Feniel and now this season has really established himself. He's in the Russian 21 squad and um, he's got his move to Rostov now. And it's a, it's a, a move Rostov, I think, absolutely should have made because obviously Kostlov is getting quite older. Alexander Kostlov is getting quite older at right back for them now. Um, so, yeah, I think that's another surprise this season. And finally, Ilya Lantratov, um, really impressed with him. Was not expecting his trajectory to be um, so high, and um, I think there's going to be a lot of clubs interested in him. And you could you can make a feasible argument for a lot of clubs needing a new goalkeeper soon. You know, Siskak in fame is getting older. 
You know, Anton Schoenin's not been quite as good at Dinamo this season and his contract's supposedly up next season. So, you know, maybe even them, Lokomotiv and Zenit are two teams who I think even next season could do with a number one goalkeeper to come in straight away. So, be interesting to see what happens on that front. But yeah, probably the players from Himke and Sochi. And the, as a team narrative, they're probably the two surprise packages of the season um, in terms of in terms of doing well. So yeah, I'll show I'll, I'll shout out those those individual players and teams. David, surprise the season. Um, I actually had Wendell down as as my surprise this season. Um, I just. Maybe it's a combination of A, just not knowing what to expect. And then the first couple of games, I was like, well, this guy is nothing special. Like, I, I just thought, how, is this, how have they spent 20 million on this on this guy? Um, <laughs> as the season went on, I was like, okay, this guy's actually really good. Um, yeah, he, 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 yeah, he definitely surpassed my expectations, my early expectations that I had for him when I, when he, when he first was signed and then when I first saw him play for Zinnit. So uh, he he was one who I had up there. Um, I, I thought Zotov. I mentioned him earlier, but um, Georgi Zotov for Rubin. Uh, you know, Rubin sort of started the season, and we were, I think everyone assumed that Rubin was going to play Merkulov at left back and Samochnikov as a right back. Samochnikov then outperformed uh, <laughs> Merkulov and did, and stuck him on the bench. And Zotov slotted in and became arguably one of our best players of the season. Like, just absolutely faultless throughout. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, it's a guy who's like a lot of the other guys we mentioned has, has spent a lot of his a lot of his career playing either in the FNEL or lower half of the RPL. And yeah, he, he's he's just your standard up and down, hardworking fullback. You know, he he just runs all game. You know he's he will charge up the field for you, run up there, cross the ball in, and sometimes that's what you need a fullback to do. Um, you know, obviously at a higher level he wouldn't he wouldn't be there, but um, he he really surprised me when I signed him. I just thought he would just he'll just sit on the bench all season, but you know, he ended up being you know a first name on the sheet kind of player. Uh, and then when it came to team, uh, I, I don't want to keep going on the Ruben bias, but they, they surprised me obviously. Sochi. Um, Himki, and then the negative surprise. I think uh, Dinamo dropping off sort of surprised me because I really thought they were riding that wave. So when they sort of dropped off at the end of the season, I was a bit, I was a bit surprised by that. Yeah, definitely. And uh, Ufa's bad start to the season was a surprise as well. Like they, that was a you know, a terrible start to the season. Like dreadful, like they were bottom at the halfway stage, tied on points with Tamboff, and you know, obviously they they really turned it around once once they got Stukov in. Yeah, I think the Ruben fullbacks is a good point, and it's a fair one too because I remember a conversation we had early on in the season where I not doubted, but I, I said I think I said something on the lines of that I was worried about Ruben's fullbacks because it looked like there was a little bit of a glaring hole in the team there that I thought could be really have been exploited, but it's been anything but. And Samoshnikov in particular, I think, has been really, really impressive and, and thoroughly deserves his his call-up to the the senior side. And I would like to finish on surprise, is that mentioning that Zaharian himself is really a little bit of a surprise because 
when the whole Guardian Next Generation list came out, as it does every year, and and you kind of you excitedly look for Russian players, and then take it with a pinch of salt because of some of the players they've had in the past, say like Kirill Kozinchenko in there, and and others who really kind of fail to to live up to the hype to a certain extent, and then Zaharian's named, and everyone's like, oh, most people are like, who's he? Never, never, never really heard of the guy before, and certainly haven't seen him play. And then as the season wore on, he got more and more involved and just got better and better. So I think that would be a good a good potential surprise. But I'll move on to best signing. And David, you have mentioned that yours is a little Ruben heavy. Well, mine also dips into Ruben here and it is uh, Dioda Despotovic. I think he's been that leading line that Ruben have needed and sorely missed for a very long time. And he was brilliant last last year for Orenberg before he left at the at the end of the season before the COVID outbreak, uh, before the COVID return. Sorry, and it was inevitable that one of the uh, up upper mid table to higher clubs would have got him out of free, and the, he's, he's rewarded the faith just substantially. He's the captain, or at least is is a standing captain of Ruben now, and fulcrum of the team. Just absolutely brilliant, and a lot of the. Way that like Konate to Kimki, but him to Rubin just even more effective because he's an incredibly talented player in front of goal as well. He is the man that generally makes a lot of the good work happen for Rubin and allows Makarov and Kavicha on either wing to to thrive in their totally free counter attacking roles and and play some really exciting stuff. He does the dirty work, and I think on a free transfer from Orenberg you can't get better value as well as return on the signing. David, best signing? Yeah, Despot was up there. Um, I also had Victor Moses and, and Wendell. Obviously, you mentioned Wendell already a couple of times. But Victor Moses, I thought, did a really good job for Spartak. You know, I had a quick click through and was like, you know, no, no, none of the other clubs really made big splashes. Zainutdinov maybe would have been up there um, had he not been injured. You know, he missed practically the whole second half of the season. I, you know, I wonder if that was a contributing factor to their their downfall. You know, he was he was very good for them first half, although they were you know, struggling with him. Um, so he would have been up there too. But yeah, Despot, you know, what what a guy. Um, but Mo- Moses and Wendell, I thought, had good seasons and uh, and were good signings also, despite the money on Wendell that is as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the money made. Wendell's life a little bit harder because he had that price tag on his shoulders, but he's he's really thrived and managed to 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 shrug that off because the the price tag's always going to be there that that'll never change in time. But what you can tell by a player who's adapted to a move with a heavy price tag is that within a couple of months it's never mentioned, and I think that's the easiest way of getting off your back is by physically just playing well and performing to a standard where everybody forgets and it's just second nature. Richard, best signing? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm probably gonna go with Despotovic on a free. You know, well he obviously showed glimpses of his um, abilities, talent last season. You know, I think he got eight, was it eight goals for a relegated side in Orenburg? And you know, if you can get that many goals for a relegated side in Orenburg and you surround him with better quality players and a better and a, and a, and a top coach in Slutsky. And um, yeah, just been really impressed with the way he's led the line for Rubin, scored good decisive goals. 
I love the goal he scored against Dinamo. Um, I think it was a couple of weeks back. I love how he just beat Yevgenyev with his movement and touch and then just slotted it into the bottom corner beyond Shunin. And I don't, I don't think Yevgenyev did a lot wrong, really. It was just very, very good centre-forward play. Um, uh, yeah, the Spotovic has to be probably my sign of the season, considering he, he cost them absolutely nothing. And, um, you know, he's been a big difference, you know, because the last couple of seasons, one observation we've probably all had with Rubin is that they've lacked a forward. Well, they've, they've definitely gone out and addressed that problem now. And to do it on a free transfer as well is um, is brilliant business. So, um, you know, it just shows you what a good transfer can, can change a team's fortune. So, yeah, I'm going to go with um, Despotovic. Um, and yeah, I'll shout out to Moses as well, you know, especially second half of the season. He was, he's brilliant. He's been absolutely brilliant for Spartak. I loved his two assists against Arsenal too. Or the first one, especially when he completely did Raskasov, Nikolai Raskasov down the right side, completely did him and then sent over a brilliant cross for Sobolev to head home. Um, and, you know, it looks like he's, he's Spartak have exercised the option on Moses now, which is um, for a permanent transfer, which is absolutely mm-hmm. fantastic news. I'm, I'm really delighted that mm-hmm. Spartak have done that. But yeah, my sign of the season has to be Despotovic, considering he costs nothing and how he's transformed Rubin's um, fortunes. Yeah, Spartak have finished in the top three, so automatically have activated a clause in Moses' transfer for, to making the deal permanent. So very good move for them. Um, I must admit, at first, I was at the start of the season as a Spartak fan, and most Spartak fans were like, we don't need a right wing back because Obden's been playing out of his skin there, like unbelievably well. And then he moves Obden in the middle and you miss Umyarov because I quite like I quite like Umyarov in the middle and I think he's got very good potential to really develop even further. But then Moses comes in and he, he, the quality that Moses has and the way him, Larson and Promes link up at times is really nice as well. It, it kind of reminds me a little bit of a few years ago with Promes, Adria, Luis Adriano, and uh, Zilowish in the way that they linked up, where you can tell that I mean they are these three are very good friends off the pitch, um, and you can kind of tell that they are because they have this sort of nice chemistry that translates onto the pitch as well, and it's it's very good to see that that flourish. But worth signing, um, worth signing for me is Yevgeny Markov at Krasnodar. It didn't make any sense at the time, apart from purely for squad depth. Even then, for me, that's a little bit of a stretch because Yevgeny Markov is just a complete waste of space. You might as well be putting a youngster in and at least giving them game time. And I think he's played seven times in the RPL, one of which was a start. Hasn't scored, hasn't assisted. Uh, He's been just dreadful. Um, Maybe it's not the greatest of choices because there wasn't exactly much expectation there. But it just from not necessarily his fault because he's just not good enough. But as a club, that signing really is a a marker of where Krasnodar are right now and the the Maya that they've got themselves in. Sergei Galyetsky's dream is to have a team of academy talents. Well, Krasnodar have got one of the oldest average aged starting 11s in the entirety of the RPL this season. And at one point had more Zenit Academy players in the team than Krasnodar Academy players. They really need to fix that. And I think the signing of Markov is just a mic in microcosm a nice summary of all of Krasnodar's current issues and and what they need to avoid to try and get out of their mire and do what they were doing. David, we're signing this season. Uh, I actually had Markov in my shortlist as well. Uh 
I mean, perhaps unsurprisingly, considering how bad he was. You could have also included probably Jornov and Chernov as well from Kresnar, but I didn't. <laughs> uh, I have Rajkovic at Lokomotiv, uh, Zeluish also from Lokomotiv, and uh, mm. meme of the year, Adolfo Gaich. Um, oh, God, of course. Um, I thought about a couple of others, like, you know, uh, I, I don't, I'm not putting Bruno Fuchs in there, despite the price, you know. Um, I'm, I'm going to... I'm basing worst on their actual performances rather than, uh, you know, injury than being yeah. a waste of money. And, you know, the fact that he was injured, so yeah, I'll let him off. Uh, hard to choose the between, you know, Zillowich was big money and he did very little, let's be honest. Um, so, yeah. And I sort of got to give credit to Rajkovic because I'm pretty sure he was a big player in that game where Loco did get a point against one of the big two teams in the Champions League. He had that one good game and then did nothing else. So I think I probably have to go with Zoe Shum or Markov. Yeah, I must admit, I because Geich had left so soon for Benevento, I totally forgot about Geich in just how bloody terrible he was. And and of course, Gonch loves his big man up top. He personally handpicked Geich to, to be signed for Siska in that summer. Um, against the advice of the club, believing that he wouldn't fit Siska's system, um, and Gonch wanted him as like a, a plan B option. But whenever he played him, he didn't play him as a plan B. He just continued his plan A. But instead, he had a big guy, totally unsuited to the style of football, not really intelligent enough. Still hadn't settled in whatsoever, and was really struggling to settle in. To be fair to him, so it's a little bit of a weird transfer. And of course, Gonch has now followed up his proclivity to sign big men by bringing in Rondon at Krasnodar. Um, not officially, I don't believe, is it? But going to happen sooner rather than later. Uh, Richard, worst signing of the season for you? Yeah, I was going to say Rykovic would have been up there, but again, he came on a free. So I guess when when he, when when Lokomotiv signed Rykovic, I think it was because they'd let on, go, Solomon Kvelia go on loan to to Rotor and that's probably a candidate for again another poor signing because you know he it's crazy how much he's declined hasn't it um Kurt Bailey in three years he's gone from being a totem for locomotive the leader of that defense that won the league to being relegated with Rotor um just it's staggering his decline I guess with Rykovic he, he was poor yes I, I definitely will say that but at least he came on a free transfer um, and like David, I'll, I'll I'll pass on Bruno Fuchs for the time being because of his injury issues. I mean, it's frustrating, of course, given the amount of money Siska paid for him. But he did have that bad injury, so I think he's one of those who we've got to reserve judgment on. And hopefully, he'll be back next season as Siska continue their rebuild. To me, it's got to be Geish. Like I say, the fact that Goncharenko requested that signing, and you know, he was getting some decent raps in South American football. Um, the price tag, and just yeah, he just. Didn't look very good at all. I mean, admittedly, I think part of it was probably Goncharenko perhaps just sticking to a plan A and not really, you know, utilising him in a different way, not putting him putting him in a two with Chaloff up front. Um, and um, even worse for Siskan there is, I've just read the other day yesterday, that uh, after Torino's draw against uh, Lazio midweek, it means now that Benevento's relegation to Serie B was confirmed. So they're, they're getting relegated from Serie A to Serie B next season. So the chances of Benevento now exercising that purchase option on Geisha are pretty much non-existent. I, I really doubt they'll be able to afford him in Serie B. So he's going to be a millstone round um, Siska's neck again next season. Obviously, they're probably going to have to end up firing him out on loan again somewhere else. So 
it's just a you know that that's the mm. double whammy of transfers like that when they don't work out you know you've got to just pray the team that you sell them to he's a success there or that they stay up or something like that or qualify for Europe. Like at least with Dinamo, Maximilian Philippe was a bit of a disaster, but Wolfsburg, like they're going to get in the Champions League. So they, they can afford to, to dig uh, Dinamo out of a holder, but guys, you know, and, and make Philip's move, loan move permanent. But whereas, you know, Benevento's relegation now means guys is probably going to end up back at Siska and who knows what, Olich has in store, you know, the fact that they're on about the fact that they've ex- they've they've decided to buy um Zabalotny means now that his career's in a bit of limbo now, Geish. So it's gotta be Geish, I think. Although there was a few honourable mentions, like I said, with Rykovic, but I think for the fee and for the fact that the coach requested him and the fact that he just looks so out of place, I'm gonna go with Adolfo Geish. Yeah, I think that's certainly fair enough. It's not it's not surprising that Siskaho going to be dominating quite a lot of the disappointing sections of and worst sections of awards that take place in in uh, Russian football media and such this season but we'll move on to best moment and I will start off by combining my best and worst moment into one little category um you're both more than welcome to, to single them out if you'd like to but my best moment is Spartak signing Shamil Gazizov at the start of the season and worst moment is Spartak firing Shamil Gazizov in the middle of the season. <laughs> what a farce. What an absolute farce from start to end. I, uh, I remember writing an article on the site f- regarding the signing of Gazizov and, and imploring that he, was give- he would be given time to introduce his style and his ways and his method because you can't create a long-term plan overnight. The idea of a long-term plan is that it takes a long time to build for a long time to then see the reap the benefits of. And I know there's different and awkward rumours behind the scenes about what happened and and potential tapping up of players and potential tapping pushing up of fees and then and then out uh, conflict between the board and Gazizov and other members of the board and so on about abuse of his power and abuse I mean as in overreaching of his power. But he is the sporting director. What the hell did Fudun expect? Just another puppet. I mean, probably, honestly, yes. It's a shame that he wasn't given more of a chance just because Spartak fans didn't like the fact that Uranov had a unibrow or didn't look like a Spartak player. What the hell does a Spartak player look like? Yeah. And that was one thing that they really held against Gazizov because they brought in Uranov as his little pet, as they called him, and he didn't play very well. It's like neither of which were given a chance to prove themselves. And it was it must have been also sweet for him to then return to Ufa to oversee a 3-0 win, which essentially all but ended Spartak's title challenge. So it's a little bit of karma there. Um, and don't even get me started on the whole Zarema Salikova joining the board to be personal assistant and runner of the club, whatever the hell it is personal, I don't know. It's all just a mess and it's embarrassing and depressingly not surprising. That's why it's not big a surprise because it's totally expected. If we had no, if we had an award for like the annual Spartak fucking their season up award, this would be it for this season. Um, thankfully, because of the quality of players on the pitch and quality of staff and the backroom staff, they managed to get in the Champions League. But off the pitch, it's a total mess. And it all stems with, of course, who else but Leonard Fadoon. 
David's best moment of the season? Um, on a personal level, I mean, Ruben had a couple of really crazy wins, a couple of last-minute wins uh, against Siska and Zanit, but the the win that stood out the most was our recent one against Arsenal Tula, 2-0 down at half-time, we came back to win 4-2, and it was a you know, it was a crucial point in the season. It basically all but guaranteed us the top five spot. Um, and at halftime, I, I did not think we had it in us. But we did. You know, they came out and we, we scored four goals in the second half. And I was, you know, I was jumping around the room pretty much every time we scored. You know, I, I definitely am celebrating celebrating goals with a lot more passion this season. Uh, so that, that was definitely up there. Um, in a general level, I think uh, seeing Krasnodar get there, their first win in the Champions League groups, um, earlier in the season against Wren, you know, they, they really struggled obviously with injury uh, and they, they performed, let, let's be honest, they still performed fairly well in the group stages with their, with the weak squad, you know, they they obviously dropped winning positions against Sevilla twice, I think, you know, a 2 no up away from home and, and lost 3-2 and, uh, and things like that. But with the squads they were putting out there, they, they put in a really good effort, you know, drew away at Chelsea, drew, drew away at Wren as well. Um, and then finally getting that win and, and qualifying from, from the third spot into the Europa League. Obviously, they then lost, but that that was a big moment for, for Russian football. A, a big highlight in a, in a poor overall European season. And Richard, best moment? I've got a few candidates. Um, happy to see Rubin and Sochi freshen up the European contingent. You know, like I say, I've been crying out for some good coaches to represent clubs in, in um, our clubs in European competition. And those two in, in Fedotov and Slutsky are, uh, you know, definitely super coaches. You know, I think that they, with, with some decent transfers this summer, I think they, they both have a chance. And with a decent draw, both could get to the group stages and maybe even one of them get through beyond the group stages into the knockout rounds of the Conference League. Fingers crossed, hopefully. A um, couple of other moments. Um, a brave decision by the Dinamo board to go with Sandro Schwartz as manager. You know, I really like the way that Buvac, he would have had a, definitely would have had a part to play in um, Schwartz's appointment. And um, okay, a bit disappointing at the end there, but I, I really want to see Schwartz in the summer with this, with, with the chance to bring in his own players now. Uh, alongside Buvac, really refreshed Dinamo. And I don't think they're a million miles off, just need a couple of signings in crucial positions. And I'm, I'm happy with the direction the club's taken and with the way that Schwartz has given young players like Chukarvin and uh, Zakayan uh, chances in the first team. Uh, I'm going to actually go a bit further back than, um, than David. I thought the group stage was very good with Krasnodar, but I'm going to also shout out to... Probably my best moment of the season was Krasnodar getting those two wins against Powok in the qualifying, because especially how it had fallen apart the season before against Olympiakos. You know, we, we were all saying, you know, last last season as well, when, when they beat Porto in the penultimate qualifying round, we thought, yeah, brilliant, they got Olympiakos, and we thought, great, they can beat Porto, brilliant, they can beat Olympiakos, and we were so disappointed with how Olympiakos outplayed them over two legs. I honestly thought when, when that draw was made and they got Powok, you know, obviously historically they're not as successful a club as Olympiakos are in Greece, but but they had just come off the back of a, a previous qualification round win against Benfica. And I was really shocked at that result. I really was not expecting Powok to beat Benfica. So then I thought I, I was going to go, oh, here we go, deja vu, here we go again. They're going to lose to the Greek side. And, you know, the fact that Powok had beaten Benfica shows that, you know, they're absolutely no mugs whatsoever. But I was really impressed with the way Krasner handled that tie. Um you know they were they were juggling injuries in a short summer break, and they, they did really really well to um, get through that tie against Powak and win both legs. And then obviously, yeah, 
to tag along, you know, onto that, uh, what David mentioned about the, the group stages for Krasnodar, points away against Chelsea, points away against Rennes, in testing circumstances, and then that, that victory at home against Rennes. Um, so yeah, they're probably my probably my best moments of the season, I would say overall. And then uh, I sense perhaps a theme coming up here, but David, worst moment of the season is it maybe related to that too? Um, my personal worst was uh, Ruben had an awful match against Kim Ki at one point, at one point. But um, yeah, the, the the general European performance from the the rest of the Russian teams uh, was obviously pretty dreadful. You know, Krasnodar were lucky, let's be honest, to considering their situation to get past the groups, at which point obviously Russia would have had no one past the groups. Um, so yeah, the, the, the Russian-European performances, um, again, hugely disappointing. Uh, the whole anti-ref stuff going on at the start of the season, particularly uh, Spartak fans sort of uh, believing that the refs were against them despite you know there being wild decisions in, in lots of games was... Uh, was annoying, let's just say the least. You know, the uh, oh poor me, poor me situation going on. So that was that was annoying, and then uh, and yeah, the the European and and that was sort of my two worst moments, probably or, or least favorite moments. I think I've just found a new worst moment. Um, some some breaking news of Alexander Gregorian um, being uh... <laughs> Alexander Gregorian. Um, so he has been homophobic again and has released some pretty incendiary statements defending his continued homophobia regarding women's football, despite the fact that he is a manager of a women's football team. So I'm not going to give him any airtime. I'm not going to read out his comments. Um, go find them yourselves. They are absolutely disgraceful. Nothing short of it. Anyway, Richard, worst moment? Probably go to the start of the season for me. Um, I'd probably say Dinamo's, Dinamo Moscow's embarrassing um, loss against um, Lokomotiv Tbilisi in the second qualifying round of the Europa League. Um, just, just outright, just a terrible performance. Just, you know, under um, Kirill Novikov, just, just not good at all. You know, just a dreadful display. And it sort of just set the tone, didn't it, for the whole performances in Europe to just be pretty dreadful on the whole. Um, and, you know, at least one good thing did come out of it, though, and the fact that, you know, Schwartz is now in there at Dynamo and we're starting to see progression and a more progressive style of playing young players. But, yeah, just an embarrassing night, full stop, because, you know, I didn't really expect a huge amount from Dynamo this season. You know, they, they would have drawn Granada had they got through that round and Granada have shown this season how good they are. In, in Europe by getting to the quarterfinals, so I think it probably would have they probably would have lost that game. But to not get through at least one round was just a real low point. So yeah, I'll probably go with that. I'll probably go with um, Dinamo's loss to local embarrassing loss to Lokomotiv Tbilisi. Yeah, highly embarrassing, especially when you consider that. I mean, back in the Soviet days, Dinamo Tbilisi were a real force to be reckoned with, one of the most successful sides in the Vishaya Liga at the time. Locomotive Tbilisi don't have that history. Locomotive Tbilisi don't really have that good of a side right now compared to some of their similar minnows to treat them without too much disrespect. But Dinamo's performance was absolutely horrendous. And it was really a watermark as well for what we were going to see for the rest of the European season with regard to the Russian slant. But we now get to our last 
of this season uh, category, which is goal of the season, before moving on to two probably slightly shorter and little com- more comedic and jokey ones. But goal of the season for me is Kamran Aliyev. Uh, it was for Kimki against Arsenal. And it was a, I don't know if anyone can recall who was listening, but it was a wonderful solo run where he took it past about five or six Arsenal Tudor players, including a nice little Cruyff turn and then a little, a little step over before shuffling it into the far bottom corner. And it was the Maisie run. That was totally out of nowhere and was just absolutely brilliant. That really impressed me. I did consider quite a few others. Um, Jordan Larson's long ranger, the free kick. Uh, Kavicha's 20-30 uh, yard hit against Sochi. Kavicha's overhead kick. We were looking before the game and there's so, there's so many very good goals of high quality this year. But I've always been a little bit of a fan of these mazy runs, like to know the typical messy sort of run. That's kind of what it was like. That sort of slalom in and out, nice few little uh, little steps and of little trickery and maneuvers, and then hits it, beats the keeper down low on the on the far side, rather than a long range effort. I mean, I am a fan of a League One team in England who are pretty shit and score a lot of long range goals. And if I look at a goal and think. Southern player could score that. I'm not that impressed by it. But yeah, I think Aliyev's was brilliant. And we'll, I will tweet out these in a thread um, and we'll do alongside the podcast. So as a little reminder for the goals. But David, your goal of the season? Um, mine was uh, fairly fairly straightforward. And for me, was Denis Makarov's uh, solo effort against, against Zenit in the 93rd minute to win the match. Um, you know, I think we we've all seen it. It went it went pretty viral um, for a number of reasons. A, the goal was good, but also the, the quality of the pitch on that day was uh, um, well. Yeah, I think it's kind to even call it a pitch. Um, you know, long ball over the, up the pitch, and it was him versus Dan Lovren and Douglas Santos, and he sat them both down two or three times with a couple of, with a few chops, slots it into the corner, Ruben win the game, and uh, you know it was. It was a great goal, and obviously, it, you know, it meant a lot for me as, as a Bruin fan. So, um, you know, that that was my goal of the season, and you know, the fact that it was against Zenit as well was was a was an even bigger factor. It was also quite funny from my perspective to see him mug off Lofren twice like that. But Richard, what was your goal of the season? Are you, are you going to go for a long range blammer? I am going to go for a long range one. Yes, oh, actually, mine is actually there was a little bit of a mazy dribbling run in the build-up to it. I'm going to go with Nikola Vlasic's against uh, Zenit right at the start of the season. I think it was on match day three. I think he yeah. just takes the ball on the halfway, just dribbles it about 10, 15, 20 yards up the pitch. And I think he just cuts cuts inside. Um, and I think Barrios is just about to close him down. And I think he just then unleashes a shot right beyond um, Mikhail Kurtzkoff into the corner. It was a lovely, lovely strike. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go with that one from Vlasic. It was from about 20, 25 yards out. Lovely, lovely strike. And yeah, the, the McCarth one um, against Zenit was good as well. I love the way he controlled that ball, kept the ball under his, con- on, under his control on, on that cabbage patch of a pitch. It, it was just dreadful. And the, just the way he just made a complete mug out of Dayan Lovren and Douglas Santos was good. Another one I'm going to shout out for McCarth too was the, the late winner against Siska. I thought, you know, that was a really good shot too to beat Akinfeyev. You know, he got it right into the corner because Akinfeyev didn't react too late. He dove just about right, but. He just couldn't quite keep it out because it was such an accurate shot into the bottom corner. Um, 
And I think also that goal was quite interesting with McCarth. I think that really sparked the season that he had because, um, you know, he was obviously just finding his feet before then in the in the RPL. And I think that goal really set the tone for his season, you know, because he's, he's another one who's one of the candidates for most improved player of the year. He's had a, he's had a super season, Makarov. And um, yeah, so that one, in in addition to his strike against um, Zeni, I'm going to go with that one too against this car because it was a lovely goal and it won Ruben three points as well at the end. Another goal and injury time. Yeah, I think that's a great one. It was a real joy to watch Vlasic at the start of the season and, and most of the season until the, the last seven or eight games when Siska really fell away. And I remember, do you remember when Siska were in a title race and they were actually second in the league? Feels now, like Ions ago, doesn't they it? They aren't in Europe for the... <laughs> yeah, now they're not in Europe for the first time in, in 20 years. It's... Real testament to how good of a job Bavica Olic has done there. Hey? But we're going to move on now to the last two categories. And first off is the most Leonid Slutsky moment of the decade. And of course, unless you've been living under a rock, you will have seen Ruben's brilliant recent video that's went viral of of um, for Slutsky's 50th birthday in which the entirety of the squad all get up and sing and the, the backroom staff and so on sing and throughout the years in and, and, and various get-ups and it's absolutely brilliant. But in in lieu of that, we're going to honour that brilliant video and Slutsky himself for a great season and, and by discussing some of his biggest moments of the decade. So some nominations. First of all is the Christmas Carol from Ruben at this, in the, Obviously, Christmas when Sutsky himself was singing a very, very funny Christmas carol. The dance from Ruben qualifying for the Conference League uh, on the on the video that was shared on the Twitter and the other socials. Of course, the fiftieth birthday song, his dance from twenty sixteen, um, which went viral. Danny Armstrong uh, of RT and former RFN. He tweeted it out, and it's been picked up by Sport Express and various other places. Where <laughs> Stutsky himself is dancing on stage with four women. Um, when he fell out of a tree to save a cat and subsequently retired from football. Now that's not quite a decade, but it's a brilliant Stutsky moment. Shouting at Zerkov when manager of Russia, uh, which Yuri Zerkov tweeted that one out. Um, a video of. Slutsky absolutely laying into them and Sherkov kind of just sitting there sick of his life and and just shows a totally different side of the man. And last but not least, the time that time at Hull when he told Mick McCarthy he'd rather commit suicide rather than manage a club for as long as a time as Mick did. So this is um Mick McCarthy was at the time Ipswich manager uh, in the English Championship. He recalled at the end of the season when he left the club or fired from the club, um he had a conversation with Slutsky privately after a game once. And when Slutsky asked him, oh, he, Slutsky essentially mentioned, oh, you've been managing for 20 years and said that he would, he, that's suicide and that he would never do that, which is beautifully forward from Slutsky. But David, what what do you think? What's your favourite Leonid Slutsky moment? Um, My, my favourite is actually the, the newest video, the, the video that the the club made for his fiftieth birthday, um, he actually you know barely features. He actually didn't see it until uh, there was a big party in Moscow this weekend, 
all the squabble there, a number of big big names and faces from, from Russia, Russian football and Russia in general there. And uh, that was the first time he'd seen the video in full, uh, sat there at that party. Uh, he, he'd filmed a small segment for the end, but there was no music playing. They didn't tell him anything else. And uh, he'd recorded vocals, vocals for one segment. So, um, but the, I mean, the video is fantastic. When I, when I first watched it and then uh, the first segment comes in, it's like a, an old 60s Russian track. And I thought, oh, this, this is weird. And then I noticed that the three guys singing were actually Rubens players, uh, Gritsenka, uh, Zotov and Kostyukov. I, I was immediately sort of enamored with the video. And then it just goes on and it's it's just fantastic. Carl Stolfelt as a as a blonde, blonde haired eighties <laughs> uh, guitarist in a in a ballad. You've got um, the backroom staff doing a nineties pop punk rock record, which is my favourite, honestly, seeing uh, yeah. Yaravinsky, Kuzmin, and Veretenikov do that. That, that, and the song. I like. I never heard it before. It's a great track. Then you've got Oleg Shatov, who's historically this really quiet guy, coming out and singing this two thousands pop track in the middle. Um, and then it ends with them doing the famous song "Tight Lyod," a rap song from the twentieth century, twenty uh, first century, uh, with all the squad, all the previous characters there. We had uh, Timur Bayramov was. Um, masked up and playing the role of Slutsky in that one because they obviously didn't want Slutsky to know what's going on. Uh, oh, it's a team Yeah, so Tim obviously we've had him, we did an interview with him on the site. He was at Lokomotiv uh, as part of the media team, but it's back at Rubin. And uh, and yeah, that was him. So, uh, oh, it was just brilliant. And I mean, it's not going to go as viral, obviously, because it's a lot largely in Russian. It's mainly yeah. for the Russian audience and those who know the Russian football stuff. But um, uh, I, th- I thought it was. I thought it was fantastic, and you know the, the production quality as well. Just, just brilliant. It's, you know, the team there are doing a great job. So, so yeah, that's my choice. Yeah, I I love the the nineties new metal bit where it was kind of like a piss take of um <clears throat> of Blink One Eighty Two, um a little bit of AFI, and then mm. Heaven Is a Half Pipe sure, in like, there as well. I wasn't sure what any of the things were, but then I was like. All the all the little segments they do are recreations of the original music videos, which is uh, yeah. a great little nod as well. Like I had no idea, but I went and watched all the original songs, and it's like, damn, they've really put in some. Like as far as I'm aware, it took them like three months to make the whole thing. It's uh, it was a brilliant effort. I also refuse to admit that that was Kuzmin on drums because he's aged about fifteen years since he retired, like a year ago. He looks really old, but I, I, it's 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 absolutely brilliant. Who was he? The other pops, the only one I didn't really recognise. Who's the pop singer next to Starfelt? Zoyev. It was uh, Zoyev. Alexander Zoyev. Yeah. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. 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 He's the one. So Ruben's sort of song for the year has been "Life Is Life," uh, you know, old sort of eighties mm-hmm. anthem track. And uh, I believe it was him who made it popular amongst the squad when he sang it as his initiation track. And sort of after every game that Ruben wins, they put a clip up on their Instagram of them singing that song in the changing room. Um, so Zoyev's obviously got a bit of a knack and a Bit of a like for the old eighties pop, so they had him in singing in English. To be fair, as well uh, for yeah. that for that one. So yeah, that was that was uh, unbelievably Alexander Zoyev. That's why I didn't recognise. I was like, who the hell is that with the, with the big stupid wig and and singing in pretty good English as well? But whoever thought that Alexander Zoyev would be a big fan of Opus? Uh, Richards, what's your Leonid Slutsky moment of the season? Absolutely. I absolutely love that video. It's between the it's between the latest video and the the Christmas Carol, the All I Want for Christmas rendition. I'm still going to go for the All I Want for Christmas rendition because obviously that attracted really 
you know, global attention to it. I've, I've listened to podcasts where it was mentioned, you know, uh, podcasts about football in general, other leagues other than Russia, you know, and you know, the big leagues and everything. And even people on those podcasts referenced it when it was done. Um, and, you know, I, th- I thought that was just brilliant. And there was some really funny um, bits in that as well. You know, um, I really like, for example, the dig at VAR when they, they passed the cookies round with the referees, the gingerbread men cookies round with referees. And when the, the referee with the VAR screen, their head was bit off. I thought that was absolutely brilliant. It was this sly little dig at one of the referees and VAR, which I thought was was, was, was absolutely funny as well. And, um, you know, some of the scenes in the video, um, I think it was... It was a uh, Huang and one of the Rubin Russian players. I think eating the Russian potato salad under the. Um, I thought that was that was good and one or two other little bits of it too, which I remember quite funny. Uh, Kavica doing the different um, changing of the different shirts. I think wearing a Juve kit, a Barcelona kit. I think it was one or two others too. I thought that was that was good as well. Obviously, with all the transfer speculation now it seems more apt now, given all the interest that's been drummed up in him since the last international break. Uh, but on the recent one to celebrate Slutsky's uh, 50th birthday, my, my favourite bits were the yeah the Zuyev and Starfelt um, duet. Um, I really enjoyed Shatov's moment too. That was in the pot the pot wrapping. That was that was quite good. So yeah, they're they're my two favourite moments from the most recent video. And hats off to to Rubin's social media team. They a superb job with those two videos. Um, you know, uh, it's really raised um, some good um, good good positive feedback from everybody and you know. Both of them really, really good. But I'm just going to go with the Christmas Carol version. I thought it was just brilliant. Great vocals. And um, I love some of the references and anecdotes and dicks that they had. It <laughs> had it. It was great. Both of them great. But I'm just going to go with the Christmas Carol one. Yeah, definitely. The props to the, to the social media team, both English and Russian, because we've got some colleagues and friends who work with them. We're on the social media side of things and Ruben have really been on the top of the game this season. Actually, in general, Zenit were the first to really, really develop social media in Russia and credit to Zenit for doing it in English anyway. And the rest are really coming along nicely and really going above and beyond. Obviously, we've got Spartak where everything they do now is viral on football Twitter. And the graphics as well Sparta make when, when obviously Volgograd returning to the RPL for the first time in like 16 years or whatever and and Bidho Big in the 90s. So when Spartak played Rotter away, they had that whole um, Y2K theme where it was all like OG Windows 95 related and and there was like the, the old ridiculous like um, Java GIFs and the Flash um, GIFs that was all themed around the, the lineup and the... The, the, the promotions and then the, the tweets of the game and the live updates. And then, of course, this by Rubin. Um, it all really is helping a lot from the outside in in terms of marketing and, and increasing the transparency around of, of the league around the world. Um, but my most susky moment is, and probably forever will be, the fact that he retired from football because... He fell out of a tree saving a cat. Just imagine in like nineteen, what was it, nineteen ninety? I think it happened. You're yeah, like I think it was around that time. Yeah. Medium, your medium age, Leonid, like little old Leonid. You've just retired from what was it, Zvezda Goladish, and he's like knocking about Volgograd. He's just like walking, minding his business in Volgograd, and someone sees him and it's like, ah, oh, Leo, why did he retire? And he's like, well, I uh, 
climbed up a tree to get a cat to help it back down and fell out of the tree and broke my leg in six different places and had to retire. Hey, you can't write that. I, I, I take the, the most ridiculous thing you'll ever hear in your life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but with Slutsky, it kind of makes sense. Like, like Slutsky himself is mental. I mean, he's not only one of the most accomplished managers in Russia, he's a wonderful human who can also be a bit of a bastard at times, as the Zhirkov video shows. A great sport who's very funny. I mean, all of the stuff that he's done off camera and that is just shows what he's like. Hull fans absolutely adored him, despite the fact he was pretty bad from a footballing perspective, which is usually like do or die. And it's just so slutsky that he, he would do that and put himself in that position to risk his own career. It's so ridiculous. But if we will go on to the last category, which is another nominated category, and it is the most bankrupt club of the last decade. Now, this isn't so much a laughing matter as the last one is. It's more so very depressing. But the idea was is to kind of highlight some of the financial struggles that clubs go through and compare how these clubs are. Now, we have... Five nominations, which are Tambov, Angie, Amkar, Tosna, and Ahmad Golozny. Now, hearing those nominations, you might hear a little bit of an outlier. Ahmad are bankrupt. Now, Ahmad have been nominated, and they are my choice for the most bankrupt club of the last decade. Because while Tambov, Angie, Amkar, and Tosna literally went bankrupt financially... Akmat are morally bankrupt, totally and utterly morally bankrupt, to the extent that they are run by a dictator. So, for me, Akmat are the most bankrupt club of the last decade. David? I mean, if we're going to financials, it's Tambov. I mean, at least Angie had youth players when they were struggling and could play youth players. Amkar and Tosna at least made it to the end of the seasons with their full squads. Tambov had to rely on loans to actually finish the season. Like, they didn't even have youth players available. So, um, I mean, it's definitely them. Yeah, yeah, it's choking aside, <laughs> without a shadow of a doubt. I don't think we've seen a club. I mean, you've we've all seen stories. I mean, Tom had to use the youth players. Angie had to use the youth. Other sides like Yenisei and Scar had to play different locations during the course of the season. Um, other clubs had games postponed due to financial issues. Other other clubs like Luch couldn't pay the players. Um, all sorts of different variety of issues, but Tambov had every single one this season, and I really feel sorry for their fans because at the end of the day, they're the ones who will be hurt most by this. Um, but it, it's it's a it's a little bit of a, a warning because too many local governments, regional governments, see football as expendable, and unfortunately, when you have that. In, in an unsustainable economy, Tambov is the result. And until we do increase the financial support and safety net to some of these smaller clubs, we will continue to get these year after year. But I, dig I digress anyway. Richards, most bankrupt Yeah, club? very last word for me. I'll probably I'll expand on what, um, what both of you guys have said there. And just, yeah, I'm going to go with Tambov in terms of financials because not only that, like, like, like David said, at least like, you know, you know, the other clubs didn't have to rely on um, 
the other clubs that we've had on our shortlist didn't have to rely on other RPL clubs loaning them players. You know, Tom had to use their youth players. And at least with Amcar and um, and Angie, they actually played in their own stadiums. You know, Tamboff, it's just, I must, it's honestly, you ask anybody from Tamboff and who was a fan of the team before they came to the RPL, and they'll probably just sit back and look at the last two years and think, what, just a complete waste. We, we basically never got to see our side play in Tamboff. You know, I feel sorry for the local community there. You know, you had no, no, you know, that sense of big occasion. You know, I, we, we obviously, we all follow English football. We know on FA Cup third round day, you know, when, when someone like Marine early this season played Tottenham, you know, the fact that you had the likes of Harry Kane, etc., coming to Marine to play. And it, it was frustrating that that game couldn't have been held with spectators. We know just a whole sense of community around it, you know, just these big guys, these big stars are coming to town and it would have felt like that for the people of Tamboff, you know, when the likes of Zenit, Spartak, these big teams come to town and the fact that they never even got the chance to watch their team play um, in their home stadium, in their home city, you know, just, it really just, you know, in a time when it, you know, for Tamboff, you know, obviously the pandemics, you know, we're only just now in other countries outside of Russia seeing fans return to stadiums. So, you know, it's been a really... Uh, um, nomadic existence really for fans over the last 12 months you know we've, we've all been consigned at home watching our team on streams on television etc and so forth but for Tamboff it's like even pre-pandemic it was kind of like that as well because they had to just sit and watch on television and you know because they were playing away and you know any fan who did make the trips to Saransk and Nishinovgorod every single home home quote-unquote home game that they had to play they're a brave fan and I'll, I'll give them that for dedication there can't have been many of them um so yeah, and all, all I can say with that handball thing is just just a farce from minute one, and I just hope they can have a Phoenix club form though. I mean, Amcar recently today just relaunched, didn't they? As a professional club, they've been given a PFL third tier PFL license for next season, so that's fantastic to see mm-hmm. them back. And I, I hope a Phoenix Tamboff club can be formed, um, and they can build their way back up nice and slow in the PFL. And um, yeah, it's just so the fans there who they probably were getting a couple of thousand attendances before they got promoted to the RPL and all this fuss happened. At least those fans then can have a team to support again and they can build themselves back up. But yeah, it has to be Tamboff from a financial, geographical and kind of everything kind of mentality, really. It has to be them. You know, it has to be them. But hopefully they can get a Phoenix yeah. club like Amco have done. But yeah, I really wanted to just mention this because the highlight, to highlight the financial plight of these smaller clubs because it's it's an absolute shame and it's a shambles that so many go out of business year in year out in this in this country and part of it is due to a lack of regulation and structure down for the lower leagues in particular but also part of it is just it's very difficult because without increased overseas tv money there's real difficult way of trying to convince foreign investment which is private investment will be the the kind of golden ticket to to solving this issue because we've said it before that a lot of the clubs in this country live within a Soviet hangover but instead of a sporting society they just replaced that funding in that system with the regional government instead um, look at Skar, Skar, Skar Kabarovsk they were part of the Siska sporting society hence Skar and now they just replaced that entire entity with the regional government Still, still being run from the exact same building that the former sporting society in Kabarovsk was based in. So it it's if any, it would, I just need to highlight that. Hopefully, 
with more regulation, with increased funding, the ever-increasing popularity, hopefully in time, this would be solved. But right now, it, it seems worse than ever, and especially Tambov's case. I, I agree wholeheartedly. I think a, a Phoenix club is needed for their fans. I think you probably will see one. There's, there's been more and more rising up all over the country in recent years with with the Sabia, uh, Kuban, Amkar, as you said, all over the place. I mean, there's, there's rumours even still about Angie potentially returning again. Not Angie, sorry. Um, is it Luch potentially returning again? But lots of clubs going out of business and, and it needs to end. Um, it's not a laughing matter, to be quite honest. And it is a little bit of a shame, but... Anyway, that is the end of this week's podcast. As as I mentioned at the start, keep an ear out for next week as we will do a little shorter version of this for the Finna L in, in exploring some of the players of the season, manager and surprise packages. Um, it will be, like I say, considerably shorter because of separate vacations. And then after that, we will reconvene for a, a more regular length episodes in which we will pick our team of the season. So... Some exciting stuff ahead, and as always, I'll see you at the same time next week. This has been the RFN Podcast. Bye for now. Веди его, беги, точнее его удар Но мяч берет в ноги решительный вратарь Не напрасно футбольное поле Самых ловких и смелых плечок Здесь нужны тренировка и воля Быстрота, увлечение, расчет